Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Um, Today we're going to be talking about the Son of God and what He has done and is doing and is going to do for us. So really the focus is going to be on the work of Christ. And since that's the case, I want to begin with a prayer. It's a prayer from the prayer book, as we often begin class with, and it's a a prayer that focuses um, on the Holy Cross. So let's pray. Almighty God, whose beloved Son willingly endured the agony and shame of the cross for our redemption, give us courage, we beseech thee, to take up our cross and follow him, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, before we jump into today's topic, I, I want to just hang a lantern on something. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, hang a lantern on it, but... Um, bring something to light that I've just been thinking about. Whenever I give a sermon or give a class, there, there are two questions I try to, to answer for those who are listening, for the students or the people in the pews. And the two questions are, first of all, what is this about? So I'm trying to be clear about what it is that I'm teaching. And that's the reason for you know the slides and little outlines in your book and all of that. So I, I hope you have clarity about what it's about. That, that's kind of the easy thing. The second question I'm trying to answer, which is always, or sometimes can be a harder question to answer, is why should I care? What, what does it matter for me as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a Christian? And um, sometimes that's an easy question to answer. Sometimes you can make a straight connection between this is what we believe and this is what it matters to me. But, but some things are a little, I don't know, you have to ponder them a little more. Or, or maybe you haven't had an, a, a life experience in terms of the faith where you can sort of connect to, okay, this is what this means. And oh, now I see, you know, why this matters, why I should care. And I feel like last week we, we talked about... Um, we began talking about who Jesus is, and I hope there was clarity that you know Jesus is both fully human and fully God. But I'm not sure that that. Um, well, I want to go back and highlight why you should care. I think that part of it, I, I, just reflecting on the on the our time together, I feel like was a little bit lacking. Now, now part of that's going to come up in, in what we talk about today, the work of Jesus Christ. So, who He is is both fully God and fully man. Again, I think I hope you'll see sort of a connection today, but, but I also want to just go back and highlight um, the fact that, that God became fully man, and this is a time of the year, Advent, and as we go into Christmas, where we really focus on that fact, that God became a human being, fully man, and we, we ponder the great mystery of the incarnation, that's what incarnation means, to like carne, flesh, to be made into flesh, so the mystery of the incarnation. I, you know, I'm just getting to know all of you all personally. I know some of you better than others, but, but many of you I'm just getting to know. And um, so I don't know a lot of your stories and maybe kind of what you're going through in this particular time in your life. But having spent enough time with people, having been in the pastoral ministry, I, I know enough to know that many of you are either going into a storm, you're in the middle of the storm, or you're just coming out of a storm. Because that, that's the way this life is. It's full of difficulty and trials and, and upsets and disappointments. And, and I think that one of the things that's natural to ask when we go through those difficult times in life is, is the why question. I mean, that's sort of a natural question that comes out. Why, Lord? Why am I going through this? And I've found, you know, going through my own um, difficulties in life, that, that sometimes God does give a kind of answer to that why question. Um, and when he does, it usually doesn't come until, I find, until years later, if he gives it at all. But oftentimes, that's not a question that God answers on, on this side of life. 
Some of those why questions aren't going to get answered until we are with him face to face. But one thing I do think that for us as Christians that, that it's important to focus on when we're going through difficulty, whether it's um, you know, death or, or illness or job or, or whatever, relationships, you know, it goes on and on and on, is to remember that God is not standing aloof off on some fluffy cloud leaving us down here to go through those difficult times. He himself experienced all of life. Now, you might be able to say, well, Jesus didn't go through this specific particular thing I'm going through. Okay, yes, maybe there may be some specific thing. But broadly speaking, he he experienced it all. He experienced it all. And so one of the things that we Christians can take comfort in is the fact that our God, really unlike almost any other God or any other God, became man. He experienced this. He was limited like us. He was frail like us. And so in those moments, we can say, you know, Lord Jesus, I sure would like to know why, but if you're not going to answer the why question, at least please comfort me with the reality that, that, that you've experienced this as well. You've experienced this as well. So that was just one um, why should I care that I wanted to highlight from last week when we talked about the person of Christ. Um, let's go ahead and just, just again to recap what that was about. We talked about the humanity of Jesus. We talked a little bit about the virgin birth of Jesus, and we talked about the deity of Jesus. I think the other why should I care that I would want to draw out of last week is um, we live in, in a world that increasingly knows less and less about who Jesus really was um, and what he actually said. And I think people have sort of a broad sense of this guy, Jesus, and maybe there's sort of some you know, people out there in the world might have some sense of, oh, okay, he was sort of a neat spiritual guy, and you know, I might like his teachings. But one of the things that's important for us to understand is that Jesus was very clear about who he was, his unique relationship to the Father, that he was fully God, and that we begin to be able to give witness to that in our places of work, in our relationships, in our neighborhoods, that we begin to, as God gives us opportunities, step up to the plate and say, well, well actually, Jesus was very clear that he he was not just a holy man. He had a special relationship with God. He was actually God. And, you know, if that's something you're interested in learning more about, I'd be happy to tell you about it. But to begin to bring clarity, because the world is confused, frankly, about who Jesus is. And it's confused because it really hasn't taken the time to actually take Jesus at his own word, at his own word. So that's another reason. Uh, why should I care? Well, we as Christians live in a world that is confused about who Jesus is. And so it's important that we have clarity about that, have clarity. Well, um, so again, last week was about the person of Christ, who he is. This week is about the work of Christ, that is what he has done. And we're going to walk through the work of Christ in three major chunks. Uh, The first, we're going to talk about the death of Jesus. Then we're going to talk about the descent, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And finally, we're going to talk about the session and return of Jesus. Now, when we look at the creeds, we will notice something very peculiar. The creeds tell us about the birth of Jesus, but then the creeds essentially go directly from the birth of Jesus to his death. I once heard a theologian say, if I can get the laser, that the entire life of ministry, or of Jesus, his teaching ministry, his pastoral care, his, his healing, his miracles, all of it, in terms of the creeds, is summed up 
in that one comma right there. <laughs> we begin with, again, the birth, but then the creed goes directly to Jesus' trial before Pontius Pilate. That's what that painting below is. Um, that painting is called Behold the Man, where Pilate is saying to the crowds, Behold, this is Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the creeds pass directly from his birth to his death? We're told that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Now, why in the world does the creed make mention of Pontius Pilate? I had a parishioner in Darlington, and we were talking about the creeds, and he's like, I, why, why every Sunday do we got to talk about this Pontius Pilate guy? I mean, it seems like there's some other important people we could be talking about. Well, the reason we talk about Pontius Pilate is because Jesus' death was a fact of history. In other words, this was real. This is not just some make-believe story once upon a time. Jesus the man walked the earth and he died at the time when Pontius Pilate was governor of that region. And it's important, again, that we, we understand that because so often people don't realize that what happened to Jesus was rooted in history. Now, you can interpret what happened after his death differently, and different people do interpret it. But what's not up for debate is that Jesus lived and that he died. That is a historic, historical fact that is not disputed by any serious um, historian. And this movement, directly from cradle to crucifixion, it is a reminder that Jesus was born to die. Bless you. Jesus was born to die. Let's take him at his own word. Let's look at some of the things that Jesus said. Jesus said, um, he predicted his own death is inevitable by saying the Son of Man must, not may, not might, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. He identified his death on the cross as the reason that he had come into the world. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. At the Last Supper, when he took the bread and the wine, Jesus said nothing of his birth or his life. He said nothing of his teaching ministry or his miracles, but he spoke only of his death on the cross. We're told that he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after that they had eaten, saying, the cup that is poured out for, for you, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Over and above all, Jesus wanted to be remembered for his death, for his death. It's no accident that, well, what's the central symbol of the Christian faith? The cross, which is really strange if you think about it. The cross, of course, is an execution device. And yet, you know, we wear it as a necklace, earrings, and so on. But that's the heart of what Jesus wanted to be remembered for, his death. His death. Now, all this, of course, raises the question, why? Why did Jesus die? And I think... Many people um, can sort of give the Sunday school answer, Jesus died for our sins, but what does that actually mean? And what does that, what does that look like? Now, the creeds do not expound on this question why, but the New Testament certainly does. And the New Testament gives several reasons for why Jesus um, came to die. 
Jesus died as a martyr to his own greatness, as John Stott puts it in our book. He died as the victim of small minds and evil hearts. Jesus died as an example about how we might bear up under um, oppression and unjust suffering without retaliating, which has been the inspiration for countless men and women like Martin Luther King Jr. and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Jesus died to reveal the inexhaustible and inextinguishable love of God. But above all these things, Jesus died to be our Savior. The creed puts it this way. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and laid down his life. This is the apostolic witness of the Bible. Jesus died for our sins. Now, again, that's the Sunday school answer. Many of you maybe could have given up. I said, okay, why why did Jesus die? Well, you could say, you know, for our sins. Well, what does that actually mean? How does that work? What does that actually look like? And I'd like to just give a a little illustration to give you a picture in your mind of what it means that Jesus died for our sins. Um, Let's imagine that we filmed all of your life, every bit of it, from beginning to end, and we put it on a video. Let's say this is the life and times of Andrew Odell. It includes not only everything that I've done, but everything that I've uh, said and thought um, and considered. Now, this would be perhaps not the most exciting movie on the planet, but it would certainly be embarrassing for me. I wouldn't want anybody to see it. Because um, maybe there'd be some, I don't know, times where I did the right thing, or maybe I did something uh, maybe semi-noble or semi-good, but there'd also be um, a lot in there that uh, I'd be ashamed of. Now imagine that this hand is me and and that up here is God and on my hand I'm going to place this life that I have lived, the thoughts that I have had, the things that I have done and and they stand as a kind of boundary or border or block between me and God. I mean, how many of you have had the experience where you say a prayer and you feel like your prayer has just bounced off the ceiling? It's a reminder that we are separated from God, even as he calls us into relationship, we, we still feel that's the pain of that separation. Or likewise, um, any time that you've had an argument with, with someone you care about, you think, well, I care about them. Why am I arguing with them? Um, and yet that too is also a reminder that we're separated from God. And you might say, no, no wait a second, Andrew, why would an argument with another human being, what's that got to do with my relationship with God? Well, the reality is it's our relationship with God who's the source of all love and mercy and peace and justice and all those good things, when that relationship is broken, well, then it begins to break all these relationships as well. So it's because Adam and Eve rebelled against God, when that relationship broke, then their relationship broke and all other human relationships broke as well. So again, that's, that's what this is a reminder of. Separated from God and likewise separated from each other. That's why sin is such a problem. Um, It's not that God is, again, sitting on some fluffy cloud with a long list of rules and you broke rule number 37 and rule number 563 and, and so on and so forth. It's because sin is what stands between our relationship with him. That's why it's a serious problem. It's a life and death problem. Now imagine that this hand is Jesus. He was perfect. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He always did things in accordance with his father, which means that there's nothing at all standing between the son and the father. 
They had that perfect loving relationship. But when Jesus died on the cross, here is what happened. Here's the mystery of the cross. All of this stuff for you, for me, that stands between us and God, all of that was placed on him. Which is why Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Because for the first time in all of of history, the son was separated from the father by our sin, not by his sin, but our sin. But if you look over here, what's happened to me? All those things that were standing between me and God. At the time of my death, all these things that should ultimately separate me from God when I die, they're no longer there. And so God brings us into relationship with himself. Death should have the last word, but because of the cross and that exchange that took place, death becomes the doorway to eternal life. That's what we mean when we say Jesus died for our sins. Our sin was placed upon him. That's why oftentimes at baptisms, um, you know, it's traditional, not, it's not required, but traditional that those who are being baptized will wear white as a symbol, as an outward and visible sign of that cleansing that took place um, by Jesus and his blood on the cross. That's why Jesus said earlier in, um, in his life and in his ministry, he said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, that's, that's what a ransom is after all. I mean, a good, good uh, thriller film uh, you, you watch and someone's been taken captive and they want a ransom for the person who was taken captive, a payment for their life. Well, that's what his life was, a ransom for you and a ransom for me. His death, our life. So why did Jesus die on the cross? To remove the barrier of our sin, to bring us back into relationship with God and relationship with one another. Goes both ways. In short, Jesus was born to die. Let me pause there. Questions about his death. Okay. But that's not where the story ends, folks, because the creed continues with five more events in Jesus' saving career. We're going to walk through them. Let's look now at the descent, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. The creeds tell us that Jesus descended into hell. This is, um, Ashley, you asked about this, I think, last week. Uh, It's a strange statement. What does that mean, descended into hell? What the creed is talking about here is not the place of punishment, but the place of the dead. In other words, wherever souls go when they die... That's where Jesus went. There's a a picture here, a painting. I don't know if you can see it where you are, but Jesus is in essence preaching. uh, It's called the the, the Howering of Hell. He's preaching um, to those who have died, who who knew that the Messiah was coming but did not um, live to know him. And this is why some creeds, versions of the creed, more modern ones, will render it, he descended to the dead. Now, the point that the creed is trying to make here simply is that Jesus died. Uh, It's like... um, can't remember what the, there was a commercial, maybe it was Raid, you know, kills bugs dead, graveyard dead. I mean, he was graveyard dead. He died. He didn't swoon on the cross. He didn't get ill and then become revived. He died. Now, going back to the question, well, why should I care? What does it matter for me? Well, I, I, as a pastor, I, I want this to matter a, a great deal. Um, to us. I, I do sometimes find that we Christians still have 
Um, there's a normal fear of death. I mean, each and every one of us. If right now we were facing our death, of course you're going to be afraid in that moment. That's normal. God has wired your body that way to, to seek life, to, to, you know, to get away from something that's dangerous. Of course. But sitting as we are here now, what I would want for you all as, as your pastor is to not be afraid of death. Not to be afraid of it. Um, we in our culture are so distanced from death. And so for that reason, it's so strange, it's so foreign. And, and in some sense, it should be strange and it should be foreign, but not to the extent where we Christians are afraid of death. When our children were little, um, we, we loved to go out into the outdoors and go hiking and that sort of thing. And so one of the things that we like to do is to take them on hikes, especially maybe places that we, my wife and I had been before. And uh, I can remember my... my daughter who's the eldest she's very much you know a rule follower and kind of wants to know you know how's all this going to work out and we would be five minutes into the hike and she would look around you could tell you know little gears are turning she's like daddy are you lost you're lost you don't know where you're going do you i'm like honey i know where we're going we are not lost uh, i have been on this this hike before in fact i can tell you around the next bend you're going to see this and then around that bend and there's gonna be a waterfall and so on and so forth don't be anxious we too are, in a sense, on a journey, this journey of life, and every single one of us in here is going to die. We're all going to, we don't like to think about it, but that's the reality. But we don't have to be afraid because Jesus is like a, a master hiker who's been along the way and can say, no, I, I've, I've been there, I've been down this road, I'll be with you, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. So, Jesus died. Well, on the third day, he rose again. That phrase, the third day, it is a witness to the historicity of the resurrection. It happened on the third day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it's clear from the biblical witness that Jesus' soul and body were reunited. And he had a physical body again. And yet something was different about his resurrected body. There was both continuity but also discontinuity between Jesus' old body and his resurrected body. Sometimes his disciples recognized him. Sometimes they didn't. In terms of Jesus' resurrected body um, and, and in terms of continuity with his old body, he, he still bore the scars um, of the crucifixion. Remember Thomas said, unless I place my hand in his side and my finger in the holes of the nails, I will not believe. And Jesus said, you know, basically see and believe. So he still had the scars. So there were, again, there was continuity, but there was also discontinuity. He had new powers. He could appear and disappear. Um, he, he could pass through closed doors. So the resurrected body is different than the body that we have. And the reality is you all are going to get a resurrected body. I don't know about you, but I'm hoping my resurrected body can fly. I don't know if you have those dreams where you can fly. Um, well, I hope my resurrected body allows me to fly. I had a church history professor who was a Lutheran pastor, um, Don Armentrout. He has gone on to his reward. God bless him. But um, Don Armentrout, in those latter years, you know, he kind of lost most of his hair and had a little bit of a, a pot belly and, you know, things just didn't work as well as they did. And one time he's relaying this to us, you know, talking about the resurrection. He said, you know, I, I said to my wife, oh, honey, I when I am resurrected, I'm going to get a new body. 
And she said, thanks be to God. <laughs> well, you're going to get a new body. Thanks be to God. And it won't be, um, you know, it won't be marred by illness. It won't be limited. It'll be a new resurrected body. Some parts of it will be, you know, continuous with your current body, but, but some parts are going to be new and improved. Um, yes, so the resurrection is not just for Jesus. It is uh, for all of us. Well, Jesus was raised from the dead. People don't often realize this, but he spent 40 days on earth after the resurrection. I think people often think, well, Jesus was you know, raised from the dead. He appeared to a couple of people and took off. No, he spent 40 days. And so for that reason, the structure of our church calendar, if you start to pay attention to the church calendar, we, um, we have Easter day, but Easter is actually a whole season for us. There's the great 50 days of Easter. The first 40 days of Easter reflect these 40 days that Jesus spent on the earth, appearing to all of his disciples, uh, continuing to teach and, and to preach and so on. But after those 40 days, he ascended into heaven. Now, this does not mean that Jesus blasted off into outer space, as some uh, dismissive people have often said. Um, it simply means that Jesus made a very dramatic exit. And it seems clear that the point of his dramatic exit from the earth was to be clear to his disciples, I am leaving, guys and gals. But Jesus said, wait, because I'm going to send someone else in my stead. Does anybody else know, know who Jesus sent in his stead? Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And that happens at the, on the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after Easter. So that's how you get the 50, great 50 days of Easter. 40 days with Jesus walking around on earth. He ascends on the 40th day. And then a few days, about a week and a half later, we have the Feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. So that's what, how we get the great 50 days of Easter that we celebrate and that we'll celebrate um, here in the spring. And that brings us now to the last saving works of Jesus, um, works that happen, are happening now and in the, will happen in the future, and that's the session and return of Jesus. So Jesus was born, he died, he descended, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, and that's where he is now, seated at the right hand of the Father. This is what we refer to as the session of Jesus. You say, session, what's that, got, what's that all about? Well, session in, in older English was a, a word for meaning um, seated. So like, you know, when, when, um, when you're in a courtroom and, they, and the judge comes in and sits down, and they say, court is now in session. Okay, that's, what, that, that's the same meaning. The judge is seated, court is in session. This is the session of our Lord. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, whereas Jesus' death Descent, resurrection, and ascension are all historic events. They took place on a particular day at a particular time. This image is more metaphorical. Whereas Jesus doesn't have a literal physical chair that he's sitting in. But the metaphor is about Jesus being there at the right hand of the Father. He's seated, first of all, because his work of salvation is done. What he did for us on the cross, you don't need to add to it. You don't need to be just a little bit better so God will accept you. No, it, it is finished. Jesus has covered for all of your sins. Seated at the right hand of the Father. So he's seated in the sense that it's finished. His work is finished. But he's also seated in the sense that um, 
if you read about um, you know ancient times when there were when we had kings and, and so on, a king would often have uh, the right hand of the king is the person who actually executes the will of the king. So Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, in a sense, executing the will of the Father in all things through the Holy Spirit. Well, the fifth and final work of Christ will take place when He will come again to judge the quick and the dead, or the living and the dead. Quick is just an old-fashioned word for for living. And the reason that we believe Jesus is coming back is because he said he was coming back. This is a rather dramatic painting. Um, I haven't found many paintings of um, the return of Christ, but this is, in a sense, kind of what it's going to look like. Jesus is going to return. There'll be no mistaking his return, and he will come to judge all. Again, the reason we believe that is because Jesus said he was coming back. And Jesus himself said that he did not know the date of his return. But he urged his followers to watch, to be ready. That really is the focus of this season of Advent, these four weeks that lead up to Christmas. Watch, be ready for the coming of Christ. We're we're kind of preparing on two levels. On one level, we're preparing to celebrate the Feast of the Nativity at Christmas when we celebrate the first coming, the first advent of our Lord, but we're also looking toward the future and saying, Lord Jesus Christ, what what work needs to be done in here, in my heart, that I can be ready for you, ready for your second coming, whatever that is, whether that happens during our lifetimes or whether it happens after we die, the second coming of Christ. And when Jesus returns, he will take us to the new heaven and the new earth. But again, he's also coming to judge, which means that those who have refused to repent and believe, those who have rejected Christ, will suffer exclusion from God. So, the Son was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Questions? Okay. Well, um, I'm going to pray for you all. One thing I meant to say back at the beginning, uh, talking about last week's class and, you know, what does it mean? What does it mean for me? You know, why should I care? Um, and just talking about the fact that Jesus walked, um, walked the earth, that, that it's a reminder that he experienced suffering as, as we do, and that can be an encouragement. Um, one of the things that we are to be as the body of Christ is to be a praying community, praying for each other. And so I do pray for you all, um, and I, I would be glad if you want to drop me a text or send me an email or give me a phone call or meet in person. Um, if there's something that I could be mindful of for you in prayer, I'd, I'd be honored to do that. So um, I'm sorry I didn't make that offer earlier. But um, again, even if you just want to shoot me a little text, say, hey, Andrew, this is something you could be praying for. I'd be honored to pray for you. So um, anyway, let me pray for you all now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Um, we thank you for your willingness to be born into this life with all of its difficulty with all of its frailty, with all of its hurt, and yes, Lord, with all of its uh, joy and wonder. But we thank you that you were born um, and that you came to teach and to heal, but most of all, that you came to die. And so we ask, Lord Jesus, that by your Holy Spirit, you would fill us with a sense of the gift that you have given to us. 
And that as we go forth from this place, we might go with a a sense of courage and confidence and peace when we look forward to our own death, uh, that we could do so without uh, fear. But Lord, also that as we go from this place, we could just be filled with a sense of, of, of the gift that you have given, Lord, that we might be a gift to others as we go back to our places of work, back to school, um, back into our communities. Lord Jesus, use us, we pray, in some way to draw people into relationship with you. Um, that your great blessing that you have given to us might shine through us and draw others um, in relationship with you. Father, we ask all these things expectantly, for we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll go in peace, and we'll see you all next week. God bless you all.